0: You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Say good morning and hello to everyone who is here. Thank you for braving the monsoon that we have uh, had in California. It's so tragic and horrible. It's just rain. That's really all it is. It's just wet stuff from the sky. Uh, We are glad you're here. Um, If we haven't had a chance to meet and you're new, I would love to meet you and just shake your hand and hear how you came to be a part of our church. For those watching online, glad that we can offer this as a way to serve you, that you're not able to be here in person, but we're glad you're watching today. Uh, So the summer of the year that I graduated high school, I got to go on a missions trip. Uh, Oddly enough, I got to go to to Australia. And you're like, well, do they really need Jesus? Well, it's an island full of criminals, so of course they do. (laughs) Ah, come on. That was funny. That was funny. And so we went there and we got the opportunity to go to all these different schools and just do songs and skits and plays and all that stuff for uh, the people that were there. Uh, It was one of the highlights of my youth as I was kind of leaving the teens and starting to move towards my 20s. Uh, I got to see God work. I got to be used by God. I got to lead people to Christ. It was a fantastic trip. But in preparation for that trip, I had to go through a program that the church offered called EE. If you're not familiar with EE, it stands for Evangelism Explosion. And basically, it was this class that you would take to learn how to share your faith and how to go in a linear way to kind of work through this script to share all these verses and what it looked like. And uh, we would learn that before we went, so we would be empowered to know how to share the gospel. Now... Part of that program included a Monday night where you would show up at the church and you would gather in your little groups and then you'd all pile into cars and then you would go out to people that had visited the church that week and go and say hello and thank you for coming with the hopes that they would invite you in, with the hopes that you would get to share this prescripted gospel presentation with the hopes that they would then come to Jesus if they didn't know them. Can I be honest? Monday nights are the most terrifying night that I would ever have to go to church. I'm a pretty outgoing guy, but I would be like, I feel so uncomfortable that I'm weaseling weaseling my way into someone's house. I'm sitting in their furniture, and then we had to go through this prescribed script to share the gospel, and then the final was like, so do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? And that's sort of how it felt. And then some would say yes, and that was amazing, and then some would be like, thank you, have a nice night, and get out. And so there was some of that. But it was very interesting as... I went through that because evangelism starts to have this new meaning in your life, especially when you go through a program like that. And maybe some of you, when you think of the idea of evangelism, you think of that dude at the baseball game out front with the sign and the bullhorn saying you're going to hell. You're like, that's a, yeah, he's like a, a really great guy. Or maybe it's that person on the corner in, uh, in, the, in the square of that town who's always on a box, who's giving a sermon or something like that. Uh, Maybe it's that person who always knocks on your door right during dinner or the big game when you're trying to focus. They say, would you like to come to our church? And, And you're like, gosh, why do you always pick this time? I don't know what it is. Maybe you had a bad experience with evangelism as you were growing up. Maybe someone with all the right intentions went about it in all the wrong ways and they were unkind or they were hurtful, or they were judgmental, or they were condemning who they were and what they were trying to communicate. Well, regardless of what took place, we all have this picture of what evangelism looks like. Because I've talked with many Christians over the years. And most of them would not say that the Bible doesn't say you shouldn't share your faith. As a matter of fact, they would say, yes, of course, the Bible says you should share your faith. Here's the catch. They always say, yeah, you should do that, but someone else should be the one to do it. That's always kind of where it seems to land with other people. Well, I want you to know here at Grace Hills that we believe that if you are a believer in Christ, if God has saved you from eternal damnation into his eternal glory, that we are all have been called to share the gospel of Jesus wherever we go. That we are lights in a dark world as we live out the gospel, as we proclaim the gospel, and as we love people with the gospel and everything that we do. That is what we believe, and it is one of our pillars, and that is the pillar that we're coming in today's idea of go, as in going out into the world, what we would then call evangelism. So I have three main points today that all I'm gonna have, because I think if you have more than three, people just start falling asleep, and I know when you do, I can see it. And so I'm gonna keep it at th- three so we can stay on point. The first one is fear, what keeps us from sharing the gospel, the call, what God has called us to. And then the third is really what, the, what is this message that we are proclaiming and why have we been given this task of doing that? Now, I think that for a lot of us, as we move into this idea of fear, fear is a, is a, is a powerful force in our lives. It's this unknown that keeps us from doing things without the, the, the knowledge of the outcome of what will take place. And so there's lots of reasons why people choose not to share their faith at different times in a different place, but I think these four kind of get into the crux of where those things are at. The, the first one I think that a lot of people feel and a lot of people understand as being something that could be potentially harmful is this idea that if I share the gospel with someone, if I share truly what the gospel means, that it will ruin or break a relationship that I currently have. It could be with someone that you enjoy spending time with at work or a neighbor or uh, someone that you go and you work out at the gym with or that a hobby that you're involved with that you just enjoy that person. You like hanging out with them. You have commonalities. But if you share that message, They will say, peace out, I no longer want to be your friend. And we have that fear that we will lose legitimate friendships if I share that. Now, I would say that potentially your fears are not necessarily wrong, unfortunately. The Bible actually tells us, and Jesus himself actually says kind of what happens at times with different people in different places. He says this in Luke 12, 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. Well, that's not really helping your case, Simon, as you're telling us to be evangelistic. The reality is that there is peace that is brought. What is that peace between man and God, right? That is the peace that he brings towards us. But the reality is, as you communicate the gospel and what it means and what it says, That it will cause division between relationships. Jesus understood that. That as you tell people that there is sin in their life and that is keeping them from God, they don't want to hear that. And so potentially there are relationships that will be broken throughout that. You might be afraid to share the gospel because you're like, "I, I don't really know what the gospel is. And you say, well, that seems funny. I'll tell you what. I have talked to so many people over the years, and, and, and not to be mean, I'll just say, hey, describe to me and explain to me the gospel. And many times people have this deer in the headlight look at me, and they're like, I, I, uh, well, Jesus and a cross and, and, and God, amen. And that's what they give me. And I'm like, okay, those, those are all things that are included in it. But they don't understand that the gospel isn't just about justification and salvation, but it's about the, the continuing sanctification of the individual's life. That the gospel is always working in the hearts of the individual. And they don't maybe understand it or maybe they don't know the Bible that well. And they don't understand what the scripture actually says. And so they're afraid at times, like, well, I don't know what it says and I don't want to say what is going on. And, you know, I don't even really understand what grace is and how God could extend that when we don't deserve it. Or they might just be like, I kind of know what it is. I just can't articulate it, Simon. It's hard for me to explain to somebody versus just saying, you need Jesus and just hope that all the pieces land. Oddly enough, Jesus spoke to this as well in the same chapter that we were just in. In Luke 12, in verses 11 through 12, he's talking to the disciples and he's talking about what it means to share Jesus as the Christ. And he says this in verse 11 and 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I think the problem with this fear that we have sometimes is that we actually believe that it's in our own ability and our own power to share the gospel and to transform lives. But what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 you you don't understand. You are filled with and empowered with the Holy Spirit to go out and to communicate that message. These disciples had no idea what they were doing. If you really look at their lives, they were all over the place. Yet when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, there was opportunities and times that came up and they said, all right, here we go. And they opened their mouth and God spoke through them the messages that needed to be communicated. This is really the early church. If you you read Acts, some of those first sermons that were preached were really based out of like, you got arrested, you got beat up. Oh, by the way, can I say something? And they just started communicating. By the way, before that, they didn't know how to articulate the gospel at all. And so we see that don't be so afraid of what you don't know, but step out in faith and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. Trust God to give you those words in those moments. You might be afraid because maybe your life doesn't match up with the message that you're communicating. And this is kind of like a twofold. So one might be that you are living a life very contrary to what it means to be under the submission and the rule and reign of Christ in your life. You may have things that you're doing that you you know you shouldn't be living in and participating in and they don't glorify God is actually it's rebellion against God. And you're like, well, I don't, I'm not going to say that. Like, this world values authenticity right now, right? But I'm being a hypocrite. I'm doing the opposite of what that is. Well, if that's the case, I would say this. That God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess them to him. It tells us that. If you're in a place where your life isn't matching up what you believe, That's fine. Confess that to God. Repent of that. We are constantly taking off the old self and putting on the new self that we have in Christ. Your whole life is going to be continually ridding yourself of areas where you're not trusting and believing God at some level in your life. The other side of that coin might be is that the things that you did before you became a Christian are something that you're not very proud of. Anyone? Is that just me? Am I the only one? That, yeah, I think we all have some of those, right? The reality is that we have lived lives that we wish we wouldn't have, that we've made decisions and we have regrets for those. And you say, there's no way that I can share the gospel because people know my life. And so I'm just going to come across as some, some hypocrite who doesn't believe that. Like, who are you to tell me what sin is because you've been living it your whole life? Well, the apostle Paul, as he was communicating to one of his young apprentices, actually has this to say about that. As he is telling this young man how to share the gospel, how to prepare for ministry, how to be a pastor at a church, he says this in Timothy 1.15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came in the world to save who? Sinners. Sinners of whom I am the foremost. Um, If you're new to the church, the Apostle Paul is the guy who wrote a majority of the New Testament. He's also the really lovely man who was killing Christians before he was saved. You're like, I've done some bad things. I just asked this question. How many Christians have you killed before you came to faith? (laughs) Don't, please don't raise your hand and tell me. (laughs) But the reality is, is that he understood who he was as he was saved in that brokenness. Do you know what that does? That points to the grace and power of God to forgive sins, that he is reconciling people back to himself. And Paul understood that, that the humility of saying this is who I once was actually just lifts the name of Christ up higher. He can forgive me. He can forgive you. My last one, I wanna kind of I wanna, I wanna shift a little bit. Let's say you are a scientist, you are a doctor, and let's say that in your research you find the cure for cancer. Crazy. You find the cure for cancer, you find the cure for this thing that is literally attacking people, that millions of people die every year because of cancer, and you find what it is. You've done the research, you've seen the results, you understand what's going on with the cells and what they're doing, and you've found it and isolated it, and you said, this can treat that and eradicate that. What do you think that you would do once you figure that out? I'm going to keep it to myself. I wouldn't want to impose my views on anybody because that would be unloving. You would go to every research lab. You would go to every doctor. You would make sure that everyone knew this information because it would literally transform and save the lives of millions and millions of people, right? Because you'd seen the results play out. You know that it works. You're positive that it works. And you can stand on full confidence saying this is true. Here's the problem. I believe with a lot of people, they've gone to church, they've been around church, they've heard the stories in the Bible, but they've never actually experienced the evidence of how Christ has transformed their lives. And you know what they don't want to do? Give a message they don't believe in that's never impacted them. They don't want to peddle snake oil to somebody Because the truth is there's probably areas in your life where you haven't really laid that down at the foot of the cross. You're like, I haven't experienced this peace that you talk about. I haven't experienced this this freedom from sin that you keep communicating to me. I don't know what it means to be able to endure suffering and actually consider it all joy. So you're afraid because you're like, is it real? because i'm not feeling it i'm not exp- i'm not sensing that it's like they've heard it with their head they have all the facts but they've never truly believed it in their heart and when you believe it in your heart it means that you step out and you live differently see a lot of times we're so afraid to reject the things that we become comfortable with in our lives we, we're so afraid to say, no, this is, this is not good for me. We don't want to read God's word when it says that's sin or that's rebellion or that's distrust. See, we need to understand that whatever the fear is that we have when it comes to sharing our faith, Jesus also speaks to that fear. Fear in 1 john 4:18 says this there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love the love of the father was demonstrated through the love of the son That love is amazing because it says you did not earn it. You did not deserve it. You were far from me, yet I loved you. And I pursued you because I saw you in your broken state, incapable of saving yourself. And I'm going to send my son to ransom you back to me. See, God's love has saved us. And we we've, we've received, if you're saved, you've received the Holy Spirit. And, and now what we get to do is we get to be bold with that love. See, Jesus was bold when he came to earth and what he proclaimed and what he did and how he lived and how he interacted with those around him. We are now empowered by God to do the same thing. And, and let me tell you something. You want to love those in this world that are lost, that are far from God. And I cannot... I, There is nothing that you can do to love them more than to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing better you can do for them. It is the pinnacle of how you can love a broken, lost, and floundering world, destitute, headed towards hell in a handbasket. The second thing we need to understand is if We want those fears to go. If we want to proclaim that, we have to understand that there's a calling behind this. This is one of the pillars that we believe here at Grace Hills is what a healthy, thriving, growing church looks like. There are so many passages that talk about sharing your faith that, that you should be going out. I'm going to read a couple. You're like you're going to know them really quick because we. Say them a lot here. This is nothing new, most likely, to any of you because this is what we talk about all the time. We've been in the book of Acts, right? You're gonna hear some stuff from the book of Acts. Acts 1, eight through nine. But you'll receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he said these things, they were looking on and he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus was giving the marching orders. This is what you're called to do. And he lays out these three circles that kind of like, well, you've got Jerusalem where we are, so where you live and what you do, and then you've got the extended area, kind of the city and the town that you exist and live in, and then outside of that is the world and everywhere else. And so God is calling us to all these different circles. Some he'll call far away, some he'll he'll call close, some he'll call just a little bit broader out. It doesn't really matter, but you've been called to do that. You will receive the Holy Spirit and you will go and take the message of Jesus Christ forward. The other passage that I quote all the time that you are probably tired of hearing, which means you're just starting to get it. You're almost there. Matthew 28 18 through 20. You're like, you quote this verse like every week. I know, <laughs> I do. It's intentional. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always till the end of age. Everything we do really hinges on these two passages empowered by God to go out into the world and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you may ask, why do you always quote these verses? Because we cannot forget what we've been called to do. Because then we start getting into this weird thing called, like, church culture, and we kind of just, like, turn ourselves in, we implode on ourselves, and then we nitpick over stupid things, like, oh, you played this hymn wrong, and you should do this, and oh, why didn't we have this ministry, and I, and we get, we get dumb. We start being focused on those around us that are perishing and hurting, that we can be the church and go out and do that. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, Paul gives this this idea and kind of kind of lays it out a little bit more in more detail. Says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who though Christ reconciled us himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you start to see what he's doing, he's laying out the plan of what's taken place and who we are now as Christ. He says, you were this other creation. God has saved you. You are a new creation. You are different. You are not the same. You have been saved. And because of that, that now dictates what we do, how we live, and where we go. It gives us our purpose. It gives us the reality of what we've been called to do in life. He's talking to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were kind of going off the rails a little bit. And he's calling them back to who they are and what he wants for them. And he uses this world called reconcile. Uh, we can bring up the definition there. Uh, to reconcile is to restore someone to favorable or friendly relations with one another or um, another after a presumed wrong. See, this is really important for us to understand. We were in perfect relationship with God, we existed with Him, we walked with Him, we enjoyed Him, we sinned and rejected Him. And now we are at hostility with God. We are not in a favorable relationship because of sin. And yet what we see is that God pursues us, sends Christ to come and save us. And so what does that do? For those that have placed their life in Christ, it brings us back into a friendly relationship with another after a presumed wrong, namely the sin that we once committed. He said that this is what God did through Jesus for humanity. That's what's taken place in this moment. And he says that I've entrusted you. Who's the you? The church, Christians, with the ministry of reconciliation. So there is this ministry of God saving and bringing back people to him through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are the ones that he has given this ministry to to go be about that work. It means that we have a role as Christians. It means that we have a job. Paul would then call anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ this, an ambassador of Christ. We use that word sometimes. We talk about other nations and and delegates coming from different areas, and they're ambassadors for that country. Uh, The definition of ambassador is to act as an authorized representative of one sovereign rule or country to another. You know what we forget a lot? We think that there's just one, there's one place And there isn't. There's God's kingdom, and then there's the world. As we have been saved, we have been transferred out of the world into God's kingdom, haven't we? It says that we are citizens of his kingdom. We're a new people. And with that, we become ambassadors, meaning wherever we go, we show the other country, the other nations, the other people what our kingdom looks like, how we live, how we act, what we say, what we do, what we value, what we disvalue. Doesn't this sound a lot like what Jesus did when he left where? The throne room of heaven to come down and walk amongst us, that he humbled himself and became a man to walk amongst humans. He did this. He lived this idea out. We see it perfectly in how he lived out his life. And now we are called to be ambassadors as well. If we are in Christ and he is in us, that means that we too are doing what he did. We carry on and continue the work of Christ. We have been commended by God to do this. This isn't some made up thing. God has called us all to be a part of this. At times... We can look at the idea of evangelism, sharing your faith, telling people about it, whatever you want to call it. We can go, oh, it's a command. There's this command to do this. And I would say, well, yeah, he's kind of clear on what he wants for us, right? The problem with the idea of using the word command at times is it can be a negative connotation. Remember when you were younger? Clean your room! What happens if you don't? Get in trouble, Right? Eat your food. If you don't eat your food, you're gonna to go to bed without dessert. Pay your taxes, right? Just making sure we're all paying our taxes. Pay your taxes, cause if you don't, the boogeyman, the IRS, is gonna come get you. Don't speed. Get your ticket. You, do you see what I'm talking about here? Better show your faith. Or God's gonna get you. See, the problem is we've, we've connected this idea of a command, that is this begrudging thing that I have to do because I'm just trying to get away from a punishment that may exist. It's a dangerous way to think about evangelism. It's a dangerous way to think about what it means to share your faith with others. When I was a kid, uh, my dad would invite me to do stuff with him all the time. They're, they're weird things like, son, you wanna go to the dump? As a kid, you're like, yes, I wanna go to the dump. It's a treasure trove of fun things that people are giving away for free. I remember I'd go with my dad. I'd go, They'd you know, load in the truck, and I'm like, can I keep this? And he's like, we're bringing more back than we're actually giving, son. <laughs> All right, say, hey, uh, Cy, come help me work on the car. Oh, okay, I want to learn how the auto works, and I want to wrench, and I want to do stuff with my dad. Hey, you want to ride on the lawnmower with me with the riding lawnmower? Yeah, Dad, I want to ride on the riding lawnmower with you. This will be fun. I was being invited into something and I was invited into something with someone who had a deep relationship with I wanted to be about what my dad was doing because I love my dad your heavenly father loves you so much that he wants to include you in his work so you can be a part of it and enjoy all that he has to offer through that If we would stop for a second and stop calling it a command and call it a calling, it would change our perspective on everything. That the amazing thing that God is doing of saving lives that are destined to be separated from Him, He has included you to be a part of His great rescue plan for the entire world. Can you think of anything better than that? It's about a relationship being included in the things that he wants you to do. I found this quote this week, which I thought was pretty good. It's from Billy Graham, so it has to be good, right? Is that how that works? Our faith becomes stronger as we express it. A growing faith is a sharing faith. I love theology and doctrine and reading God's word the danger of that is it can just kind of fall and terminate on myself, right? Like, look at me, I'm so smart. I'll be using larger words today that none of you know that make me feel like I'm smarter than all of you. That's not the intent of learning good theology. The intent of learning good theology and knowing God's doctrine is that we would learn it, understand it, see Him. Lift him up higher and glorify him. Worship him more fully and fall more in love with our Savior. That's what we're supposed to do. And the idea is is that as you you understand God more, you can't help but talk about this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-loving God who loves you. Billy's right. Man, the more I know about God, the more I can't stop talking about him. I love it. It's like people who play pickleball. That's all they can talk about. Like, it's big ping pong. I get it. Knock it off. (laughs) That was not in my notes. (laughs) And my wife plays pickleball, so I'm in trouble. So, anyway... But that's how we are, right? When we're excited about something, we talk about it. When we read about God, we should get excited about it and want to talk about God. Well, what is this message that we're so afraid to share? What does it mean? What, is, what are we ambassadors of? You ever notice when the gospels share that it's shared in very different ways? Like you can have one guy share the gospel, another gal share the gospel, and it's like they're very, very different. Now, there's key components to each of them that are very similar, but they're very different. If you look at how Paul would communicate the gospel at different times and how it's written, there's a lot of different ways that it's communicated. When he's talking to the Jews, he has a very specific message. That message is like, you think that you're doing all these rules and therefore you've earned God's favor favor and blessing and love, right? And he's like, no, that's not grace. That's not a gift, And so he really pushes on the gospel how you need to sit in God's grace and Jesus' work, not your work. That's always how he preaches to the Jews. When he gets to the Gentiles, it's very different. He doesn't talk about the law very much. Have you noticed that? He actually doesn't even quote the Old Testament very often. But he talks about their separation and their need for a God. The thing that they're pursuing, the idols in their lives, are not going to fulfill them. And there's only one that can can fulfill, which is Jesus Christ. See, he changes what he's doing. This is what I love about the gospel. It's why it can be preached anywhere in the world. It's why it's so powerful that the gospel penetrates every single area of our heart, every broken area, every area in need. And at times we're going to talk about the love of God. At times we're going to talk about the separation from God. At times we're going to talk about the peace of God. All of these things are like it it can just hit any audience. And that's what makes the gospel so amazing. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever you need, the gospel can meet that need because Christ can meet all the needs and the brokenness of our hearts. For some, what we see is that there's this way that we communicate the gospel. It's, it's, it's a four-step process. It's creation, fall, redemption, Restoration. So that's just kind of how a lot of people package um, the, the gospel and what it means. Creation, God created everything, right? He made it perfectly. We existed with him and he made these things. Fall sin, human sin. We didn't trust him. We rejected him. We tried to become our own gods. We tried to say, I want life without God. That sin entered the world, separated from God. So now we're no longer in God's presence. We're uh, away from him. redemption. Jesus came, he redeemed us back. He brought us back to right stand with him through his sacrifice on the cross that anyone who puts their life in Jesus Christ would be redeemed. Restoration, that ultimately God is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He will restore all things to the way they once were. He will restore all of humanity, all of men and women. But here's the, we forget about this sometimes. He's also restoring something else. Nature, the world, the universe, everything in it. See, sin has affected everything. And ultimately, there would be a new heavens and a new earth, and we will exist with God perfectly the way that we were designed to. That is the arc of the gospel in a little nutshell package. Some people will go, I, I, four points is too many. Simon, I just need three. And it might be that Jesus is the promised king, the, the promised Messiah, the one who would come in human form. The second part is that by his sacrificial death, he atones for our sins. He secures our justification by grace and not by works. And three, that on the cross, Jesus broke the dominion of sin and evil over us and will return to finish what he started making all things new. You're like, is there a two-point version you've got? I don't, sorry, I don't. (laughs) Here's the thing, we're all broken in some way, shape, or form. We know this. You know how I know this? Why are we spending billions of dollars on counseling? Every year, billions and billions of dollars are spent on counseling. Because we know we're broken. We know that we are messed up. We all know it. The problem is, is that we are looking for a solution that doesn't have the ability to fix the core issue. And so what do we do? We look within ourselves to find the power that we can believe in ourselves and make all these choices and we can, we can pull up our bootstraps and get ourselves out of the muck and mire. There is nothing more opposite of the gospel than that I just said. But it's the complete opposite of the gospel. Because the gospel says, you are in a bad spot. You can't save yourself. You have no ability to pull yourself out of the muck and the mire and you need somebody else to do that. And that person is Jesus Christ. That's the one who does it. And he did that some 2,000 years ago on the cross for you. We were in a perfect state when we were with God before sin. See, the gospel is about fixing this problem that happened so long ago. The gospel is about this king, this king who has his people and his people were lost and taken away from him, and they were locked up. You're like, know, it sounds like a fairy tale. It, it kind of is. That that king would then go and pursue his lost people, his bride. That he would fight against all odds. That he would lay down his life to purchase back the one that he loves so much. And bring that bride into a life that she could never imagine. We are that bride. We are that locked up person. And that is our God and what he did through his son. When Jesus died in your place, he defeated the dragon. He broke into the castle. He picked us up and took us out. This is the message for the Christian. At Brian Bora's funeral yesterday, I just said, the gospel's really simple. It's us, in a bad spot, crying out for help. And it's God saying, of course I'll help you. When we humble ourselves and admit that we have a need for someone to save us. Jesus reaches out and saves us. Anyone who would call on the name of Jesus to save them will be saved. That is the gospel. That is what our Savior has done. I had this uh, great privilege of talking with a friend this week. And uh, we get together on a, on a pretty regular basis and we go through God's word and we, we pray a lot and we talk about each other's lives. And uh, there was someone that he knew that he really wanted to know the gospel. And so uh, we talked about it. I said, well, hey, how often are you praying for him? He's like, oh, well, you know, not as much as I probably should. That's always our answer, right? Not as much as I probably should. I said, how about this? I want you to pray for that individual every single day that God would save them, that God would use you. You transform your heart and their heart in the process. So, for the last year, my friend was praying for that individual. Last week, I got a call. I said, "Hey, he gave his life to Jesus." I'm all, "Yeah, that's what I'm talking about—the power of prayer, crying out to God to save lives." You know what's funny? As he was willing to pray for that individual, it not only transformed that guy's heart, it transformed his heart. And so now he's like, how do I love this guy? I already love this guy. How can I love him with the gospel? And you're like, "What's well, weird. Did he knock on his door? Did he sit in there? Did he give him the, did he give him the script from EE? E? No. He spent time with him. He was in relationship with him. And you know what he did? He talked about Jesus in a normal way because it's who he loved. And that relationship allowed that opportunity to share the truths of Jesus Christ. Yeah, sometimes maybe the conversation, he was a little scared. But over time, God used him to be a part of that process of God saving him. You know what we call this? a Testimony. It's living out our, it's not just this one-time thing that we say once, like, I did it, I did it. Okay, we're good. It's every day living out your testimony of how God's changed you, how he's transformed you, how he's made you new. Testimony is very simple. This is who I was before Jesus. This is where I was broken and lost. This is when I heard of Jesus and who, who shared that with me. And then this is how he's changed me. Think about this. Everyone who's a Christian at some point, someone has been bold enough and loving enough to share the message of Jesus with you. Everyone has had to hear the gospel at some point in their life. Maybe it was when you were really young. Maybe it was when you were really old. But at some point, someone shared that with you. Our hopes at at Grace Hills is that we would continue in our global outreach overseas. What the Longs have been doing for so long, we're so excited about that. We want to continue to see that happen all over in different areas. We want to invest in local opportunities and, and local ministries that are doing that in and around our city. We want to adopt a church plant somewhere in Southern California that not only can we give them funds that we can walk alongside these young church planters and help them and encourage them and pray for them, make sure that their marriage is doing well and that their families are doing well. We don't want to just throw money at them. We want to be involved in their lives and see the gospel move more in our areas. We want to create classes and places of study where we can understand the gospel better understand the scriptures that are really powerful and how we can share that faith with others in a way that is just very natural with who we are. We want to create places to invite friends to come and to be around other Christians so they would see what God's family truly looks like. I want to end with this passage and then I want to challenge you with something and then we're going to sing. Let me read this passage from Romans. Romans 10 9 through 15. It's going to start weird, but it's going to land right. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Listen to this, this. I love this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's where we live this out. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's evangelism. That's what we're called to do people speaking the truth of Jesus in love. Why are the feet beautiful? The feet are beautiful because they bring the message of hope, freedom, and peace and a God that will never leave them nor forsake them. They place their life in him. You don't have to go to Mexico to do this. I'm thankful for those who have. What starts in your life where you are in the sphere of influence that God's placed you in where are you? Where do you look at this? How do you share the gospel? What fears do you need to fight in your own life? Do you see sharing the gospel as a blessed calling from God or a begrudging command that you have to do because you're afraid of God's smiting hand? challenge is this I'm gonna invite the band to come on up I want you to think of a name I want you to think of someone that you know that you care about who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior I want you to write it down someplace I want you to write on a piece of paper in your Bible put it on your phone that counts too And what I'm asking you is this. Pray for that person every day that God would save them. Pray that God would use you in some way of loving that person and sharing that message. And pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you when the time comes to share. And pray that the Holy Spirit would transform their heart in that way. There's about 85 people in this room. Could you imagine if all of us prayed for a year, what would happen next year and how many people could potentially be ushered into the kingdom of God knowing that they have secure salvation? I wanna pray, then we're gonna move into a time of communion.